Well, we're beginning this morning a new series, and uh, the series is Holy and Human. Holy and Human. God calls us to be holy. He says that we are to be holy as he is holy. And holiness is something that we preach about, we speak about, and something that we should seek as followers of Jesus Christ. But holiness sometimes can be difficult because we are human. And some of those things that all of us face as human, the struggles of life, we kind of get bound up in and we use as an excuse to keep us sometimes from pursuing as we should the holiness that God wants for us. And so over the course of these next six weeks, we are going to be looking at various areas of our life that can become places where we get bogged down and frustrated in and sometimes hindrances to that holy life that God calls us to and which we see. This morning we are going to start with looking at disappointments. Finding God in the disappointments of life. Have you ever been disappointed? Ooh, you're a better crowd than the other one. The other crowd, most of them, everyone had been disappointed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we aren't awake yet this morning. I don't know. Disappointment. If you're alive, you've been disappointed in some way at some time. Some little things, some big things. Sometimes life throws us a curveball and we have before us a road open up that we don't want to travel down. So where is God when my best laid plans, my hopes, my dreams just seem to vanish into thin air? Every disappointment that we face is a fork in the road where we either can choose God's plan or we can become angry, we can become bitter, we can become resentful. Many times our disappointments are opportunities that God has before us so that we can walk with him in a deeper way. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, wanted to go to Spain. In fact, he had his heart set on going to Spain. He believed that it was God's will that he go to Spain. Spain, a country that hadn't received the gospel yet, and there were multitudes there that had not heard, and Paul wanted to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his letter to the Romans, he all but promises that that will happen. He says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. The problem is Paul never made it to Spain. Instead of Spain... Paul was falsely accused, arrested, spent years waiting for a trial, finally was extradited to Rome, 
where he spent years in prison again, waiting his execution. One can only imagine the the depth of his disappointment in having these noble plans and plans for God's kingdom even, frustrated by the circumstances of life. Paul's experience has something to say to you and me. Along the road of life, all of us will have to deal with disappointment, with our disrupted plans, with our deferred hopes, with unrealized dreams. Every person's life is a diary in which he or she intends to write a certain story, but is forced many times to write another. And our understanding of God's grace teaches that Christ did not come to reduce life, he came to fulfill life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Desire, that thing that, that, that motivates us to anticipate and dream, uh, is, a, is a major driving force in any human being's life. We desire for certain outcomes. Uh, and Christ did not come to eliminate desire, but he came that we would dedicate desire and that we would submit to his fulfilling the ultimate, his desire in our life. What happens when human desire is not fulfilled? What, what is God's answer to severe disappointment in our lives. Paul was a powerful example of a godly individual who lived a Christian life, and yet, as we've seen in this scripture, his earnest desire was not fulfilled. Some preachers today tell us that if we are living a holy life, then we can expect cloudless skies, we can expect bodies that never get sick, we can expect to have all the resources to fulfill our every want. But Paul is a testament to the reality that in this world, even if we live a holy life, we may have dreams and we may pray for a certain outcome, our version of Spain, and yet at times experience the imprisoning disappointment of life lived out in a fallen world. This is the reality of our lives. And this is what Christ wants to speak into. Psychologists tell us that the increase in suicides, alcoholism, Even sometimes nervous breakdowns are evidence that people are training for success when in reality they should be preparing for failure. Because the reality is failure is much more common than success. Poverty is much more prevalent than wealth. Disappointment is much more the the norm than every dream being fulfilled. So despite what the world preaches to us, we're not guaranteed that we are going to acquire all of our heart's desires. We're not going to attain every dream, no matter how hard we may work at it. And so one of the key reasons that we don't uh, is because we are not the gods of our universe. We are not in control of every aspect of our life. For those of us who 
want to be sovereign over our own little world, that's a disappointing thought, but it's the reality. And despite the appearances, those that are rich and famous, and it looks like everything is going their way, they still don't live their lives based solely on their own choices. We may experience from time to time occasions of apparent success where it seems our will and God's will go together and mesh and we get what we want sometimes. But this is the very heart of the tension between God's will and my will. And if we are not prepared for anything but success as defined by me or those who are around me, If we have no philosophy of failure, in other words, how do I face failure, we're not going to be ready for the most normal issues of life. When I go to Spain, Paul wrote, yet he never took that journey. Instead, he journeyed to Rome, a prisoner, sat in prison for years, scribbling on a parchment that he would mail out to various churches around Asia Minor. Eventually, he was beheaded. And yet he influenced the world more than anyone else other than Jesus Christ, probably. His impact on what became of this Christian faith. Last week in a devotional that I use, I read this story. It said, by the time my wife and I got there, She was already dressed, sitting in the chair, ready for discharge. I couldn't help but think to myself, how does anyone do this? It just doesn't feel right. It's not fair. Let the young be tested, the middle-aged, even the early seniors while they're still fully surrounded by family and friends. But not this, not in her old age. She was so happy to see me She was talking a mile a minute, telling us everything the doctor had said, how much she wanted to go home, the plans she had for the week, the people she couldn't wait to call. Jenny, her daughter, was on her way and would be picking her up at any minute. She was hoping that they may stop and get something to eat at their favorite restaurant before going home. Allie, we've got news. Bad news. We had to tell her that that morning, in the early morning hours, her house had caught fire. And there was nothing the firefighters could do. Everything was destroyed. Jenny, she asked. She had come home to live with her mother after her husband had left her. And her bedroom was on the first floor, but somehow, rather than going out the window, she had opened the door of her bedroom and was engulfed in flames. She's gone, Allie. She died in the fire. Everything was gone. A lifetime of possessions, photos, memories shared with her husband who had passed away some years back. This was their house and now it was all gone, but nothing compared to the overwhelming loss of Jenny. Jenny's dead? She kept asking. I should have been there. I was supposed to get released yesterday. The doctors told me to stay one more night. I should have been there. Are you sure Jenny's dead? But Allie had walked with God most of her life. And this moment of loss, she surrendered herself into the arms of God. 
She left the hospital that day knowing the Lord who had been faithful to her for as long as she could remember would in this, the worst tragedy of her life, be faithful to her again. She lived another five years or so. She missed Jenny terribly. She grieved her loss until the day she died. But even then, she kept doing the one thing she knew to do. She put her trust in the Lord. She knew him to be faithful always. And as we would visit her, she would tell us, he's never failed me, not even once. The fact of life, we're going to be tested. Authentic dis- Christianity not only dis- demonstrate its superiority to other world religions in the great plan of redemption that there is, but it's also superior in how it helps those who follow Christ to face life's disappointments. One of the truths that has driven my understanding of grace is that God will redeem everything in our lives. Not just our successes and triumphs, but our brokenness and our failures. This is because Christianity was born in the very fires of failure and defeat. What is the symbol of our Christianity? Is it not the cross? The cross on which Christ took the ultimate symbol of failure and disappointment and transformed it into an instrument of redemption. Core meaning of the cross in our faith, faith is that grace was forged in the fires of the most profound human disappointment. Even the worst that the world had to offer, it can be a blessing for those who put their trust in God. Paul said to the Romans, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. No normal human being is going to seek out or pretend to enjoy pain. Yet without pain, there can be little progress. It's a disappointment. Well, I didn't turn that off, did I? All of you, turn your phones off. Okay. See, I'm disappointed in myself. It's in the disappointments of life that we often get our best traction spiritually. Even biologically, the birds in the air to fly have to have the resistance of that air. The fish in the sea to be able to swim have to have the resistance of that water to be able to move up. Our first instincts as human beings is to ask God to take away the resistance. We don't like that discomfort, that hardness, that heaviness. Life's troubles can be so disagreeable and the weight of them so heavy that many times we never see them as components of God's plan to make us like himself, to provide benefit into our lives. Many times 
those that are training for the Olympics, the runners and others, will train with weights on them and run that course with some heavy weights or a heavy backpack. And that allows them to develop strengths that they never would have had if they just trained without any resistance. In looking at our lives, if we see areas of character development in our lives, you almost always can look back and see that that character development came through some difficult twist in our path. The Holy Spirit uses these times to teach us the truths uh, that can only be learned uh, as we go through adversity and disappointment. Much of popular Christianity misses this point. Within Christianity, we have developed a, a cult of comfort. We are told that Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to experience any pain or trouble. Anything that comes our way negative, just believe, just, just be positive. But these light and easy answers are based on a false assumption. And that false assumption is this, that the goal of life is my happiness. That the goal of life is for me to have this peace and comfort and everything being, in my mind, perfect. Despite how appealing that may be to our fallen natures, that's not the goal. That's not the reason God created us. We are created for holiness, not happiness. That's the goal of our life, is to be holy. Happiness is a byproduct of that right relationship with God. If we pursue holiness, we will be happy. But holiness is the goal. We are created for it. Holiness is that, that, that being in a right and an intimate relationship with God. But when sin enters our human existence, uh, we are separated from God. And this is why we can't have we, we can't have hope uh, of having true happiness uh, until that divide between us and God is repaired. This is why God attempts to mold us as believers by sometimes heavy weights on us, the crosses that we may bear. He gives us hardships to endure, tribulations to triumph over. And he uses those weights to mold us uh, into the holy image of Jesus Christ. Only those who are in Christ, only to those who are in Christ can pain uh, really have purpose. Can frustrations produce fruitfulness? Can disappointments be redemptive? Christianity faces disappointments and faces those crosses we bear head on. Followers of Jesus Christ are promised that if we will follow him, we can have that same outcome in our life, that no matter what Satan may throw at us, the cross, that Christ will triumph, that he will fulfill his purpose for our lives. So he does not promise an easy release from necessarily these disappointments. In fact, Christianity paradoxically points to what the world perceives as failure as the proving ground for God's grace. The greatest example being the cross. To the world, Jesus was a total failure. But we know that the cross, the point of their perception of failure, was his greatest victory. Life is full of accidental frustrations that can 
look as if blind fate has taken control of our lives and has spun the wheel of our fortune. And we say, boy, we've got a tough break or they've experienced a tough break. And many people go through life broken by the tough breaks they experience. They invest a fortune in, in the market and the market crashes. They go out on a limb in a project and their faith, their, their health fails them. They plan and they dream, but the door is closed by what they see as fate. How can Christ be redemptive in these things in our life? How can failing become fruitful and redemptive in my life? Joseph in the Old Testament had a dream, literally. He had a dream. And he dreamt, and in that dream, and as he began to look at life, he saw life as this great and grand uh, uh, thing that would happen in which he would be lifted up, and he would lead his family. And he, he had experienced the good graces of his father. He was the, his father's favorite son. Uh, he had given him a special code of high honor. But all that was dashed in an afternoon as his brothers plotted to kill him. And instead of killing him, they sold him as a slave. He was taken down into Egypt and spent the rest of his teenage and young adult years as a slave. He was falsely accused. He ended up in prison. You can read his story in Genesis chapter 40 through 50, and you can find all the things that Joseph experienced. It's, a, it's one of the great stories of the Bible. But in the end, as he gathered his brothers around him towards the end of his life, after they were reunited, he said this, you meant that for evil, but God redeemed it for good so that many lives would be saved. And many times the things that we see that were meant for evil, God will redeem the prophet Hosea saw a similar irony as he spoke of the valley of Achor. And in that valley was buried Achan. Achan, when they had gone into the promised land and they had conquered Jericho, they were told not to take anything. Everything was to be destroyed as a sacrifice to God. But Achan went in and got some clothes and got some bars of silver and buried them under his tent, and God's blessing was pulled back. The children of Israel suffered a terrible loss at the hands of the city of Ai. And out of that experience, this valley where Achan was buried was called the Valley of Achor. And to the Jewish people, it was the synonym of despair of defeat. Achor meant defeat. Achor meant despair. But God tells Hosea the prophet these many years later, this is what he said, I'm going to make the valley of Achor a door of hope. What is your valley of Achor? That thing that is synonymous with defeat and failure. Where is that valley in your life? Like Paul, have you missed your, your Spain and find yourself in some prison. It's disappointing to say the least, but it's not necessarily the end of everything. It may in fact be the beginning of something greater than you could ever imagine. 
In the New Testament, there are 14 letters that the Apostle Paul penned. They make up the bulk of the New Testament. And most of those letters were written while Paul was in prison. Some of the best of Paul's writings would never have made their way to us if he had gone to Spain as he wished. It's hard to escape the conclusion that God was orchestrating Paul's disappointment and giving him a prison cell from which he could pour forth uh, those great words of hope and comfort and instructions that we have today. Out of Paul's frustration in not reaching Spain came the greatest contributions of his life. Pain can be profitable. Disappointments can be fruitful. But just by trusting God in those difficult times doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to understand everything. Paul would never know the full impact of those letters that he wrote to the churches of Asia Minor. We think of him as Paul writing, sending these out, almost as if he was orchestrating and knowing what he was doing. God was inspiring his heart. He was locked away in a prison. The churches would read those letters and pass them around to the other churches. They were preserved and become a part, became a part of what was called the New Testament. Paul never knew that. I imagine Paul struggled with his disappointment. He didn't know how God was redeeming it. He may, it may have seemed to him that, that God wasn't redeeming his disappointment at all. Let's face it, not all of our failings are going to be turned even into the good fortune of Paul. We live sometimes in an endless, seemingly sea of disappointment. Not all of our prisons will have letters that will touch the centuries as Paul's did. Some of those places we are in are dreary places, dark places, impregnable walls, uh, shutting in our spirit and suffocating uh, our, our very souls. Maybe it's a broken body. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's a broken home or a broken career. And when disappointment settles in in a chronic state, what do we do then? When the tragic elements of life come and we're saying, what, just grin and bear it? Is that the answer? Just buck up and, and, and hold on? Are we merely left to courageously endure life? For the Christ follower, this is the time where God wants us to go deeper, to follow Jesus into the sufferings of the cross. It is in our sufferings that we truly begin to understand the profound underlying message and meaning of the cross. It is here that Christianity flexes its muscles. Christ's answer to suffering and to disappointment is redemption. It runs all throughout the New Testament. The cross of Christ is supreme and it is a supreme illustration of disappointment and redemption. Jesus did not merely endure the cross. He used it to redeem. He didn't merely endure the blows that life hurled at him. He took them and he redeemed them and he made them weapons uh, against evil. Out of the shame and the isolation and the unfathomable pain of the cross, he provided salvation for the whole world. 
He took the first, the fierce winds that beat against him, and he made them a force to lift men and women to stand before God. Christ's answer to disappointment is that through him, adversity can be made to pay dividends into our life. To put into our life riches that will, were never there before or could not have been had we not gone through those times. God alone can redeem every disappointment, every broken hope, every severed relationship, working it out for our good. The cross means that we should get something out of everything. That in everything, God wants to work good in our life, uh, even our defeats. If, you, if you've missed your Spain, and you find yourself in the prison of disappointment, the redemptive question is not this, how do I bear this burden? The redemptive question is, how can I use what is happening to me to bring glory to God? How does God want to use this to redeem it? We may never get out of the pain or that failure. You may never fully understand your disappointment, but you can get something out of it, something to make your life better or someone else's better for your having walked uh, that road. Uh, the cross means this. Yes, it means more than this, but it does mean this. It forever reminds us that our disappointments are not our defeat, but if redeemed, they can become our greatest victory. So the question is, will I trust him in all that I go through? Is he everything to me that I can trust him? In the Old Testament, we find another God follower that faced disappointment. In the book of Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of Abraham and it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham, Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. God called Abraham, and Abraham's response is, here I am. It was a time of testing in his old age. It wasn't the first time. In the beginning, when God had first called him, he called Abraham to leave everything, to abandon where he grew up, to separate from his family, to go hundreds of miles away. And it says that he obeyed and he went without knowing where it was God was even calling him to. Over and over, the Lord called Abraham to follow, to trust, to obey. And each step of the way, sometimes faltering, sometimes failing, Abraham followed and did what was right. Now in his old age, He's finally has his son. And he's beginning to enjoy the son, Isaac, that God had promised, the miracle son that God gave to them in their old age, old age. God had promised that son and that through that son the nations of the world would be blessed, that he would be the father of many nations. 
God is saying, take your son and take him out of, up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. We would like for maybe Abraham, instead of saying, here I am, to holler out to God, why? What are you thinking? What are you talking about? Tell me why, Lord, before I move. But Abraham simply says, here I am. And his actions the next morning reinforces that. It says the next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants, and along with his son Isaac, they chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God told him about. When I was a teenager, we would visit my grandparents who lived in Florida at the Wesleyan Retirement Village in Brookville, Florida. And... One of the highlights of our trips to visit my grandfather and grandmother was to go see Bud, Bud Thomas. Bud had been a senior in high school with all the dreams of a typical American teen of what he was going to do with his life, but on graduation day, he and some of his buddies went swimming at a local rock quarry. And then they jumped off the rocks into the water and climbed back out and jumped into the water. The rock they were jumping off of became slippery. And as Bud went to jump off the rock one more time, his feet slipped out from under him. He fell back, hit his neck, and severed his spinal cord. And Bud would never walk again. It was a journey, but Bud decided finally to trust God to trust him with this supreme disappointment of life. Bud was a quadriplegic, but his parents had built for him a little cabin right off the back porch that allowed him some autonomy and privacy. Bud was one of the most positive persons I've ever met. He was an artist. He would put a pen pencil in his mouth and draw the most beautiful, detailed, intricate picture. He made cassette tapes, it was back in that day, and he would send them all over the world to our missionaries as encouragement to them. He had a steady stream of people coming into his cabin, and he made that cabin a, a place of worship and praise. I remember one of the times we visited him, he had just returned from the hospital. He was always in and out of the hospital. But he was all excited, and he was praising God for what had happened, because he had gone to the hospital, and there was a flu epidemic that had happened, and the hospital was so full, they didn't have a room for him. They had to put his bed out in the hall, and he was praising God about that. That's something to praise the Lord for, isn't it? If you'd go to the hospital, and they'd put you out in the hall, for Bud it was, Bud was always looking for a way to share Jesus Christ with others. And he was so excited because this time in the hospital, he wasn't locked away in a room with just at the mercy of whoever would come in that door. But everybody that passed by Bud's bed got to hear a little bit of who Jesus was. And during that time, several had prayed to accept Jesus into their life. Bud was able to find God in the greatest disappointment of his life. He allowed God to redeem his disappointment. J. 
just as God has done the cross 2,000 years earlier. Some of us even right now may be facing some life-changing disappointments. If you aren't, you will. Will we find or choose the, the way of rage and anger and bitterness? Or will we trust in God who wants to redeem every disappointment? I want us just to end this time together with a, just listening to a video of a song that I think pulls us together. And just ask God, God, help me to trust you.